Heavenly Father, God, we know that, uh, God, we know you're on the throne. Even when things are, are hard and, and don't make sense, God, we see an attack like uh, a situation like we're seeing with Doug, and we think, man, that's just a distraction. That's, that's demonic. It's, it's against you. It's against your work. It's against your, your, your mission. But Lord, you're in control. Uh, you're in control when uh, lives are lost. You, you are in control over the families that are left behind. God, we pray your peace. We pray your hand in these situations. Lord, we ask that you would guide us tonight as we open up your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are looking at ministry principle number eight, coming to the end of the series. And as uh, you guys kind of pointed out a minute ago, the principle is we protect unity. You even had the handout to help you because it's right there on the top. If you didn't, put your hand up and you'll get one. They're, they're bringing them around if you need a handout. Now, unity is a big deal, right? Uh, if you listen to maybe championship athletic teams, they'll always talk about unity. They understand it. They get it, right? And you don't go and, and win a season and win a championship without having some sort of of team unity, right? They get it, but the church, the church struggles with it. We have a hard time with unity. Across the board, if you look at, at churches in the world and you just look at what God tells us in His Word, we see that unity is something that we struggle with. And especially the bigger you get and the more diverse you get. I mean, just a few minutes ago, some of you were going, I don't even know what this guy's saying on the stage. And you were already divided because we got, we got multiple languages going on in this church. We've got multiple cultures going on in the church. But that's exactly who God called us and instructed us to minister to, right? But the more diverse you get, we've got multiple age groups. You know, some of us, sometimes we have our kids up here and then you got to pray with, with kids and maybe someone else's kids. You're like, I don't even know how to pray with kids. Right? So there's all kinds of things that can divide us and, and separate us. Cultures, you know, basically you've just got the shoes on in the house and the shoes off in the house. Cultures. Right? Uh, but that, that divides us. You go to the house and you do the wrong thing. then And, and basically you've just got cake or pie. Right? You can only get one. Let me see it. If you're a cake person, cake, cake, only cake, cupcakes, rest of life. Oh, they're all on this side of the room. Pie? The pie people? There we go. The Lord is with you. You see? And just like that, I've already, I just divided the group. And it doesn't take much. Sometimes it's just a little thing like that. Sometimes a, a little offhanded comment. Sometimes just a, little just a little difference. And we think these things that don't even matter, all of a sudden we're like, ah, but he likes cake. Ah, but he's a cat person. Can't trust a cat person. Or a dog person. Or whatever, whatever side you're on. Ah, he wore his shoes in my house. Which I know that's our culture, but it is kind of gross. I mean, you wear your shoes all over the place. You take all of the nastiness of the world and you just bring them in your house and you put them in your, in your bedroom carpet. I mean, I do it because that's our culture. But <laughs> I've been other places. I think, they, I think they got that one right. But why does unity matter? And I want to take just a minute, and this is a really basic foundation, and I think most of you know this, but I think it's, you know, it's worth saying and reminding us uh, as we start, we'll lay this foundation. Why does unity matter? One, because unity is a reflection of God's divine nature. God's nature is that He is, is, is one, is that He is unified. And we could look at, 
many, many verses, and I put some there on your, on your handout, but uh, God told us from Deuteronomy 6-4 that He is one. He told us in 1 John 5-7, there are three that bear record, but these three, they're one. That, that He is not in and of Himself divided. He, he sent His disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost in Matthew 28 to go. Why? Because it's one. You go in the name of all of them. And this is the God that we serve, the God who is in and of himself by definition of his very nature and being. He's unified. Except for that one moment. It's kind of hard to understand at the cross, right? Where, where Christ said, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? But in that moment where there, wasn't, where there was this division, where there was this space made for, for Christ to die, all of that was done to purchase unity, to purchase us back so that we could be united to Him, right? So originally, when you look at creation, creation was not divided. Originally, creation was created to reflect the nature of God perfectly, and it was unified. Heaven was the throne, and earth was my footstool, and there was no division. Uh, it was created with a purpose to be inhabited, and the sons of God were, would praise in the presence of the Lord. And if you go forward in time, and you get to the recreation, you're going to see that the sea will be done away with, and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and, 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 and that division will be gone again. It will get back to a place where even creation will reflect the nature of God as, as a unified God. This then is the message that we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. But when you look into Genesis chapter 1, you start to see those divisions. You see that there was light and darkness and they had to be separated. And all of those divisions, it doesn't represent what God had in, in mind for his creation. Nor does division represent what God had in mind for his church because the body of Christ on earth should reflect the body of Christ in heaven, who is currently seated at the right hand of the Father, unified with the Father and the Son. This is what God desires of us, the body of Christ, to be one. He told us that many times. In fact, Jesus said it, Paul said it, it's written all over the place. Unity is important in the body because it is Christ's body. And his body is designed to reflect his nature. That is what, what Christ desires out of us. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Yet the, those who are, who are lost and divided and separated from him, he wants to bring back and reestablish a unity with them so that they could be one with him. And then he goes beyond that and says, not only, of course, are we one with him, but we're one with, with the people that wear their shoes in the house. With Jew, with Gentile, bond free, all of those things, this language that, he says, I put you all together in a body to be unified, and I did that because I wanted you to reflect my nature to the entire world, right? So we see division comes in, we see division, you know, early on from Isaiah chapter 14, we see division again in Genesis chapter 3, and, you know, so as we're, we're even as we're created into this world, we see division is, is already there because there's already a serpent. But then we see, again, that Adam brings more division and we are separated from God. We could say that division is a result of division. There was already division and now we're more divided. And division just has its way of doing that. 
I mean, it's kind of what the term means, right? It's exactly what the term means. I'm no mathematician, but the way I understand it, division means to break apart, right? And so that's what, that's what Satan desires. He desires this division. He desired to come in in the garden. He desired to come in in the throne room and to, and to, and to separate God from his creation. And we'll see, again, I think, I think this is foundational, but a couple things. Division is a result of straying from God's design, from God's plan. So we, again, we saw that in the beginning, but then we also see that personally in our own lives. Even, when, even for those of us who are saved, we, 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 are, we are reunited with the Lord, but then we start to walk through our lives, and we go, oh, I'm going to try it this way. I've got a plan here. I got an idea. I, 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 know what, I know what the Word of God says. I know what God's plan is, but what if I tried this? Or you start coming to Midtown, and you go, okay, I, get, I understand what the vision and direction is here at Midtown. I understand all of the principles. I understand all of these things that have been laid out, but, but I'm going to try it this way. And when we take that approach, when we start to deviate from God's design, you know, we end up with division. We will be divided from the Lord, and we will be divided from those around us as well. When, that's what happens when we disagree with God's plan. You see that in Genesis 11, right? There was, hey, I got a new plan. Let's just, let's just build a tower. And what did the tower do? That tower brought great division on the whole earth. New plan. Let's not do it God's way. Mitch and I were on the plane to go to Toronto, and, and this meme came up. One of us, as we were scrolling, about to take off, and they were doing all of the announcements on the plane in French. And we're like, I have no idea what's going on. I think they're saying, put your seatbelt on. Use the exit if the plane crashes. Like they always say, right? 2 Samuel 15, Absalom, he had his own plan. He said, hey, let, let me just try this my way. I know what the king said, but when he went and he, and he tried his own plan, it divided him not only from the king, but from the kingdom as well, and from the people of the kingdom. Now, this is what we do as believers. And when we try this, the result will always be the same. When I say, I'm going to go it alone, I'm going to, I'm going to take a different approach, I'm going to go about it. I know what you guys are doing, but what about this plan? Well, you'll end up in the same place as Absalom, or as everyone at the tower. You'll be divided. Division, when we look through Scripture as well, we see it's a result of, of distancing ourselves from God's character. Right? Not only from, from straying from his design, but then just distancing ourselves from his character. When I am divided from another brother or sister, when I'm divided, when there is a schism, when there's strife, when there's some sort of division here among us, among y'all, it's because somebody has distanced themselves from God's character, from the character that they should have in their life. Maybe me, maybe you, but one of us is not walking with the Lord. One of us is in a position where we're saying, you know what, this, this thing, this division, it's going to continue. It's going to grow because I'm not allowing God's character to take root and to lead me and to guide me. 1 Corinthians 1.13, Paul writes, is Christ divided? Again, it's the very nature, it's the very character of God to not be divided. 
divided. In Genesis 32, in verse 7, it says this, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that was with him, and the flocks and herds and the camels into two bands. You want to know what divides us? Here's two things that frequently divide us. Fear and distress. We get afraid, even though we were instructed to fear not, even though we have the answers to our fear, even though he's the comforter, even though he's given us the things that we, that we need to deal with our fear. We get afraid, and you know what we do? We, we hide, we divide, we cast blame. Uh, you know, we, we do all of these things when we get afraid or when we get distressed. We get in a, uh, one of those pressure cooker situations. You're in a really difficult time. You, uh, everything, work is hard, life is hard, uh, whatever. Kids are hard, marriage is hard. When, when we have stress, we have a tendency to divide. We let fear and distress divide us instead of drive us into the Lord. We can respond like Jacob instead of trusting the Lord, instead of pressing into the things that God has for us, instead of following his instruction, we go, ah, fear, ah, distress, run. You know? You've done it? You know some who have? When I'm afraid, I'm more likely to divide. When I don't know how to handle my distress, I'm more likely to divide. There's something in us, Sam says it, you know, as men, he says, we're like dogs, right? When we get wounded, we just want to run and hide. We want to be divided. We don't want to show that we don't know how to deal with it or we don't have it under control, and so we divide. And so division is a result of a distance from God's character. So for us as the body of Christ, it is, it is so important for us that we, that we have the character of God as a priority in our life, that we have the design of God, the plan of God as a priority in our life, and that we're seeking after those things because those things are the things that uh, will begin to divide us one from another. Now, at salvation, God began to restore that. And I mentioned that uh, a minute ago, Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, right? We're, we're all made one in Christ. And this is his heart's desire, is that we would be one, that we would be unified, that we would have unity. And this is why, this is my first key thought, it's this. Because unity is not primarily for our benefit. It's primarily a testimony. Now, we get a lot of benefits from being unified. But when we're not, we're telling the rest of the world, we're telling the rest of the church, and we're telling the lost world, we're telling our co-workers, we're telling everyone out there that, that the God who created it all, the God of unity, well, he's not good enough. But our unity proves to the world that there is something out there that is greater than all of the differences and, and stresses and, and fear that comes up in life. When the world sees unity in a, in a big group of people that are so different, that gives testimony to the nature of God. 
and the unity that we have within the body. I mean, yeah, praise the Lord. It it does make life easier to, to live peacefully with all men. But beyond that, God's name gets exalted. Or when we're divided, we destroy that testimony. So it's his name over my name. It's his benefits over my benefits. You know, but we're like, well, just, just let me be mad for a bit. You know, it's, it's just, I, just, I just want to sulk. I just, you know, maybe a, a sulking type. I mean, I, I got to stay mad. I'm going to be mad for a while after, and then I'll get over it. Well, while you're being mad for a while, during that while, your, your Lord's testimony is being destroyed. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe we should deal with it quicker. All right, so that's foundational. That's where we have to start with this idea of protecting unity. Now, the, the way that that principle is written, we protect unity. That's a strong middle word there, protect, right? That's a fighting word. That's an intense word. If you remember in the early days of, of Under Armour, they had that saying, protect this house. Who remembers that? That was like the, the, the battle cry that they came out on. And if you were, you know, when was that? Like the, I don't know, 2000, late 90s, something like that. Whenever that company started. Like that became a big deal. Like, yeah, protect this house, right? Uh, or, or, you know, you just think about that in the context of maybe you're a family, uh, you're a father, or you have kids. You think about the idea of protecting your people. You go, okay, there's a lot that goes into that. Now we're saying we take that attitude towards unity. So I want to talk to you for just a minute about why it is a fight. Why is it a fight? Why should we fight to protect unity? And I'll say number one, because unity is not naturally there, as we just, as we just looked at. Unity is not naturally built into fallen man. I'm not naturally at peace. I'm not naturally going to be unified with anybody. I'm not naturally going to be unified with my wife. I'm not naturally going to be unified with my neighbors. Unity isn't a natural thing. Even as a believer, Romans 7, Paul talks about the the wrestlings that he has because, because unity is a hard thing. My flesh wants to do this, but I know what the Word of God says and it leads me to do that. Right? And so, so unity is a supernatural phenomenon. Did you know that? It's not of this planet. It's the nature of God, right? So it's not naturally in me. So if I want to have unity, and it's not naturally there, it's something I'm going to have to work for, right? Like, not everybody was born and raised in Mexico like Baruch was. If you wanted to speak Spanish, and it's not naturally there, you're going to have to do a lot of work. Right? You're going to end up saying a lot of really funny words and sound really odd for a really long time, and people will go, <laughs> he's trying. There you go, bless his heart. But for those of us who, who grew up speaking English or whatever your home language, like you don't think about it. It's just naturally a part of you. Now, now unity is like that. Unity is a supernatural, out-of-this-world phenomenon. So following up on what Sam preached on Sunday, this is not alien speculation. This is confirmed. This, that unity is an alien entity to us. 
in order to hold on to it, it's something then that we're going to actually have to work at, fight at, protect, desire, strive for. It's going to be tough. And that's even though we crave it. And this is the, this is the, you know, the paradox with unity. It's not naturally there, but we were built to be in a body. We were built to crave unity. We were built to crave human interaction, and yet still we struggle at keeping unity, right? So when we observe it among people, we are observing death to self. We are observing people that have said, I'm willing to put myself aside so that the Spirit can work in, in me, contrary to my nature. That's why that testimony part is such a big deal. Because when people see unity between two people that otherwise, you know, naturally might not be unified, they go, how on earth did that happen? And you go, it didn't happen on earth. It's supernatural. 1 Corinthians 3.3, 3, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? See, these are the natural things. These are the things of, uh, of the carnal body. How do you say flesh in Spanish? Carne. Oh, yeah. See, you get it. It makes sense there, right? These are, the, these are the things of the flesh. These are the carnal things. The natural man is what was in that list. Divisions. Divisions show the world that we have no power over our own flesh, even though we have the Spirit of Christ and the Word of God. When we live divided, we're showing the world that those things aren't powerful enough to deal with our own desires and our own preferences and our own ideas and all of that stuff, right? Everything that the Bible tells us when it, when it instructs us towards unity, all of, you know, like... Romans 12.10, be kindly affection one toward another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. None of those things are naturally there, right? Who, who naturally is preferring somebody else? These are all things that, that God has to work in us. Now, because it's a, a prayer service, I want to give you a few prayer points as well. And so our first prayer point will be this, related to unity, and it's going to come from Psalm 86, verse 11. This is David's prayer. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Here's the prayer. Unite my heart to fear thy name. We should be praying and asking God to help us with unity because my own heart is divided against itself. God, unite my heart to fear thy name. I, I see this as, a, as an offensive prayer, like offense-defense. Not offense like I was offended. Like, this is, this, is a, this is an on the attack. This is trying to, to put points on the board. Prayer. This is, this is David saying, God, help me be united to you. This is, this is how that we as, a, as individuals in the body have to pray. God, I need you to help me be united because I can't protect unity by myself. If we're all praying this prayer, Lord, unite my heart to yours, then unity in the body is going to become much easier. Why is it a fight? It's because it's not naturally there. Number two, why is it a fight? It's a fight because simply because God said it's worth fighting for. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness 
and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. And here's the word that Paul uses, endeavoring. That's another fighting word. That's a striving word. That's an endurance word. That's a long-term focus word. That's a, this is going to be hard all the time, but I'm going to keep working at it, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Romans chapter 16. As Paul's closing up Romans, he's, he's laid out doctrines for us for, for 16 chapters. He, he writes a bunch of hellos and thank yous at the first half of the chapter. Verse 17, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Mark them and avoid them. Endeavoring to keep unity. People that cause divisions, Paul's very forthright about. And this is a strong statement. Considering all of the times that Christ told us not to fight, turn the other cheek, give them another coat if they steal it from you. All these peaceful admonitions. But when you find someone in the body whose desire, whose work is to divide, mark them and avoid them. Because God takes division very seriously. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. And I think truly endeavoring is mostly an internal battle. I think most of the time if I'm endeavoring you know, to keep the peace, we like to say it's external because we like to project it onto someone else. I like to say it's Miles' fault that we're not at peace. We're, we're not. That's just an example. We're at peace, right? Okay. I want to put it out here, but really, endeavoring is an internal struggle. I'm not at peace with Miles, back to what we said earlier. Probably because I, in some way I'm not walking with the Lord. There's an aspect of his character that I'm not lined up with. And so endeavoring is an internal struggle. But it's an internal struggle that, that you would be wise to bring out into the open and ask others to help you with and to let people know, hey, I am struggling here. Help me with this. Why is unity a fight? Because God told us it is, because it's not naturally there, but also because of this, because the world is selling unity based on the wrong things, because the world wants to give you a false unity. Because unity is all over the place. Because I already told you, we desire it and we seek for it and, and Satan knows that and now, now unity is everywhere. It's called inclusion. Inclusion is a substitute for, for unity and that's not it. Inclusion is not unity. But you're going to be sold that. If you don't know what the, what the Word says and you're going to buy a false unity and you're going to latch on to something else and you're going to go, oh yeah, that, that sounds good. I'm going to run with that. And this is important. This is the next key for us in terms of keeping unity. The voices you allow to influence you will determine who you're unified with. The voices that you're listening to, what you'll find in short order is that you're unified with the other people that are also influenced by that voice. Right? You know, and there's lots of ways to look at that news cycles and political positions and, you know, whoever, whoever is feeding you. And you go, oh yeah, I hear that. That's what you tune into. For example, 
If I hear Dell use the phrase set like Chet, I know what voice is influencing him. Right? I know, that's a silly example. I only know one voice that's ever used that phrase. I don't know who Chet is. I don't know how he got set. I don't know what I have to do to become set like Chet. I don't know any of those things. But I say set like Chet occasionally now. I don't even, like, I don't even know it. Right? Why is that? I know that's silly and that phrase doesn't matter, but you know what? It's because, because that man influences my thinking. I've let that voice guide me. Now I'll, I'll start to sound like him. But if I say it, if I say set like Chet, and then Dell says it, we're unified. Because we're listening to the same voice, right? And so here's our next prayer point. It comes out of Genesis 49 and verse 6. It says this, O my soul, come not thou into their secret and unto their assembly, mine honor, be not thou united. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. So here's, here's Israel dying, and here's his prayer. I actually don't, he's praying to not be unified. And there are things, this is, this is a defensive prayer. We should be praying defensive prayers as well that say things like, God, as I listen to all the voices that are out there, give me wisdom to discern what I should hear and what I shouldn't listen to. And God, don't let me be unified to the wrong voices. Because if I'm unified to the wrong voices, I'm going to be unified with the wrong people as well. We have to be praying that God would defend us and help us. God, I, I, I can't be, don't, I don't want to hear their secret. I don't need to know all the details. I don't want to be in there. Don't let me be unified to that. So that's a defensive prayer. Now I want to give you real quick, there's, there's a lot of ways that we could go here with the last point, but I just want to give you a couple evidences of unity. And the Bible talks about a whole bunch of them. But how do we know that we are protecting unity? What does it look like? 1 Corinthians 1.10 Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. That there be no divisions among you. So Paul is saying when, when this, is, this is the goal, that you would speak the same thing, like we just said. But that you'd be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So this is the goal. Here are three, three ways that we know that we're protecting unity. One is that we speak the same thing. When we are communicating the same, then we are unified as we just walked through. But where does that come from? Paul breaks it down. He says, you will speak the same thing, because that's outward, when the inward parts are, are the same, when you're thinking the same and judging the same. Okay? So we, that, of course, we have to think the same in order to be unified. And how do we think the same? What guides our thinking? Philippians 2, verses 2 through 5, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on, also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And this is the key. If we are going to protect unity, we have got to let the mind of Christ dwell in us. 
we have got to be a people that internally we're already thinking the same thing. The, the, the speaking is, is evidence that the thinking is, is already uh, being processed in the same way. We're like-minded by having the mind of Christ. If we are truly going to be a people that protect unity, then we have to be a people of the book. This principle ties us back to other principles that we've already had and already looked at. They, they, they work together. Uh, you know, uh, we have a final authority. Uh, we, are, we are people who are accountable to the Word. Those are other ministry principles that we run by here because that informs our thinking. And then Paul also says that you would judge the same, meaning you would make the same applications. We're unified when we're thinking the same and, and the output becomes the same. We're making the same application. So we have the same judgment. That's the ability to process the Word uh, and come to the same conclusions. This too pushes us right back to other ministry principles that we've already talked about. We are always making disciples, meaning we're training others in the Word and showing them how to, to think. We're, we're training leaders. We're showing them how to make application. We're showing them how to come to right judgments. Right? So, you know, so one thing that you shouldn't do is run from pastor to pastor or Bible study leader to Bible study leader or pew buddy to pew buddy and take your problem all over the place to shop around for the answer that fits you best. Now, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to see what Brian has to say. Eh, I didn't like what Brian had to say, so I'm going to test out, uh, I'm going to test out Miles. Uh, Miles said the same thing as Brian, interestingly enough, because they think the same and they're making the same applications. But I don't like it, so I'm going to move on. I'm going to try Uriah, right? That, you are sowing division when you do that. You go, I'm just getting a second opinion. No, you're looking for one who's already been splintered off and you're going to latch onto them and you're going to divide with them. Don't do it. If you're here, if God's put you in this body, if you're bought into it, if you're sitting under a pastor, a fellowship leader, then submit to it. Trust that God is leading them and trust that they love you and that they are investing in you. And so you know what? I'm going to be all about the Word, learning it, learning how to make application. And, and even when it hurts, and even when I don't like it, I'm going to submit to it. Because we have to protect unity. The last thing is this, 1 Corinthians 11:18. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear there be, that there be divisions among you, and I, and I partly believe it, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11. He goes on to rebuke the church because of their division, specifically related to the Lord's Supper. He then delivers to them what he had received from the Lord in 1 Corinthians 11.23. He then instructs them to judge themselves and to get right with God and man because it's the Lord's body that we're dealing with. So, you know, a couple weeks ago, we took the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper practically helps us to, to, to protect the unity. God actually gave us a tool to maintain our unity. So we ought to be doing it regularly. But also this, listen, here's our last key point. Those who protect unity receive and deliver correction well. Okay? If you can't receive a reproof, you're not helping to protect unity. 
Here's our prayer point. Psalm 141, verse 5. Let the righteous smite me. This is David's prayer. Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. When your discipler, when your ministry leader, when your pastor comes to you and says, hey, I've noticed this in your life, your response should be, praise the Lord, thank you. Let it be a blessing, for it's an opportunity for you to, to grow, to grow in unity. It shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head. If you need to deliver reproof, instruction, correction, make sure that you know how to deliver it in such a way that it does not break the head of those you are delivering it to, disciples, leaders, counselors. In order to protect unity, yes, sometimes we say hard things to people, but it has to be said in a, in a, in a way that they can hear it without being crushed. Don't let it break my head. For yet my prayer also should be in their calamity. And this is a submissive prayer. That's our three prayers. Brian's going to come up and, and close us with worship. If you need to take some time while, while we're singing to pray, uh, do it. Uh, if you need to take time to protect unity by going and talking to somebody, do it. If you need to examine God's character and your character, uh, do it. Uh, if you need to say, God, just help me to receive rebuke and to be willing to grow, then do it. And if you need to go pick up your kids, do that as well. We're out of time. We're going to close. We worship.